We're in a sermon series called Moved by the Spirit in the book of Acts. And Pastor Bobby last week gave a phenomenal sermon, and he had only five minutes to prepare it. So let me just say that he's an award-winning preacher. That's right. And I listened to it, and it blessed me so much to return to chapter one for him to remind us about the red letters in Acts and how he connected, which I didn't know, even though I've spent two weeks on this sermon, I didn't remember that this the words of Jesus in chapter 9, the last time that we had seen them perhaps in the text were in chapter 1, but that Jesus wasn't missing in between. And so Pastor Bobby talked about the, the red letter words and also the witness of Jesus should be in red everywhere else. So the Holy Spirit is weaving the words of Jesus and weaving the witness of Jesus and weaving the works of Jesus everywhere in between. So we find ourselves again today in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. And I'd like to read the first. Did y'all see me reach for my, for my glasses up there? They were not there. <laughs> we're going to read in Acts chapter 9. Now, it's through verses, through verse 1 through 17, but I'm just going to read the first nine verses. So if you'd like to open your Bibles or Bible apps or just look up, up here and just listen to the word. However, you need to connect with the word. This is the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saulo, Saulo, por qué me persigues? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, ¿Quién eres, Señor? Who are you, Lord? And the reply came, yo soy Jesús. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, somebody say three days. Three days. For three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we come before you with holy expectation and hope-filled anticipation that you want to meet with us today. That we didn't just come here to hear a sermon and sing a song and check something off of our list. That you invited us here this morning as we were on the way thinking we may or may not see you on the way, but you want to have an encounter with us today. And you have questions to ask of us. Not questions that lead to condemnation, but questions that lead to connection with you. And so, Jesus, we are looking for you on the way, in the faces of the grieving, in the faces of the joyful, in the faces of the waiting ones. We are looking for you on the way, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I could not preach this the sermon without you. And so I ask that you would illuminate this text, 
and show us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to know you and eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to know us. And I ask this in the most powerful name of Jesus, in the name of the most high. And there ain't no high like the most high. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Saulo, because I have a hard time saying Saul and Paul, I want to go back and forth. I'm just going to say his name in Spanish. Saulo was a religious fanatic. Saul was a religious fanatic. He was a murderer. He was a mob agitator. He agitating the, agitated the lynching of Stephen. We must not forget who Paul is. He is killing in the name of righteousness. He was so wrong in his rightness. I learned that from Pastor Bobby. He was so wrong in his rightness. He was so filled with his interpretation of rightness. Saul was complicit in the lynching of Stephen. He was a murderer, and we must not forget that. And yet Stephen prays for Saul. And a few weeks ago, I got to speak or preach on Stephen and thinking about the grace of Stephen praying for Saul. He specifically says, don't hold this sin against him, Lord. Right before he was going to be in the presence of a savior. Don't hold this sin against him. There was Saul watching or looking over the robes or like watching the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. Because see, the gospel reaches us on its way to somebody else. So the gospel was reaching Saul through the way of Stephen. Grace was chasing Saul through the murder of Stephen. Gospel reaches us on the way to somebody else. Forgiveness reaches us first on the way to somebody else. For, uh, mercy reaches us first on the way to somebody else. Mercy and grace reaches us first on the way to somebody else. It must pierce you first. The grace of God reaches to Saul through Stephen. And now it's about to reach Saul on its way to you. Saul has positional authority, but he didn't have spiritual authority. He had positional authority to act on his hate. He, was, he wanted letters from the high priest. He didn't know he was about to meet the most high priest, but he wanted letters to justify his hate. Does that sound familiar to us? He wanted letters to justify what he thought was right. He was so wrong in his rightness. Somebody say, ouch. But he was about to meet the most high and there ain't no high like the most high. And there he is on his way, on this road, looking for men or women who were followers on the way. See, in this case, Paul was not sexist. He was like, men or women, I'll catch anybody proclaiming the name of Jesus and I'll take you down. I'll take you down. He was so afraid of the mercy and the grace and the scandalous love of this way. It made him feel some kind of way. And in verse three, we says that as he, we read that as he was going along, approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed 
around him. And this is where I want to stop. There's three stops for me, for me here today, verses 1 through 17. This is the first stop. This light that was going along him. This light that flashed as he was going along, I'm sorry, flashed around him. This same word, this same word that we see here as light is actually the same word to speak of Jesus in other parts of the gospel. It is the same word to describe Jesus as light of the world, Jesus as revelation to the Gentiles, and Jesus as light in the darkness. It wasn't just 10,000 stadium lights of light when you go to, um, where'd you go to this weekend? You went to see the Cardinals. It wasn't the 10,000 stadium lights flashing on, como se llama, Pujol, as he achieved his 700th home run. Okay, hallelujah. That'll give Pastor Bobby like to say hallelujah too. It was a light much louder than that, much flashier than that. It wasn't just physical light, y'all. The same word there is light of the world, light of revelation, light in the darkness. It's the type of light that is very general to the world, then also very specific to a people, then also very particular to our darkness. It's that kind of light. It's also the sense of it being a source of light. It ain't just any light, it's the light that keeps giving light, that keeps giving light, that keeps giving light, that keeps giving light. It is a source of all light. This light was chasing after Saul. Saul is persecuting, but Jesus is pursuing him. This is the kind of light that lights our paths, that lights our minds, that lights our heart, that illuminates our senses. If you see here, this, this encounter here is engaging all of Saul, not just his mind, not just his intellect, but his ability to see, his ability to hear, touch, how he tastes things around him. <coughs> Where do you see this kind of light? Pause and look for those very particular moments of light. Some of us may feel a little disconnected to the story because it sounds so sensational. It sounds like, well, I'm, I'm not being persecuted in this very specific way. But this light is chasing you all the time. So don't underestimate that you may not see 10,000 stadium lights shining at you, but it may just start with a sliver of light. It could be that if you, if you move too quickly, if you don't pause, you miss it. It could be someone's question about how are you really doing? You miss Jesus on the way. It could be an interruption as you're trying to do work and you don't realize, oh, that work is actually, that interruption is my work, being present to the person in front of me. Where do you see this light? Where do you see this Jesus? In 1,000 slivers of light, 1,000 small slivers of light that God sends your way. In my experience, I have seen these particular moments through people that Jesus, that Jesus shows up in the skin of somebody else, that Jesus asks in the form of very intimate questions, how am I really doing? In verses four through six, 
we move on and I want you to think about this light, which is Jesus. This is the light that is asking, Saulo, Saulo, por qué me persigues? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The first thing that I want to know, you to know is that this Jesus knows Saul. He is named and he is known. He is named and he is known by Jesus. And I love the fact that Jesus asks questions because Jesus' questions always invite conversation. And I think you've heard me say that before, but for the past two weeks, Jesus says, I don't only invite conversation, Inez. What I want is connection with you. Very different vibe than just interacting with a text and asking good questions of the text, but letting this light ask questions of us. The kinds of questions that Jesus asks are to invite an encounter, are to invite connection, are to invite intimacy. Ego mi Jesús, dice, yo soy Jesús. Yo soy Jesús, a quien tú persigues. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Another place where I want you to pause for a second. Jesus asks, why are you persecuting me? What is that in connection to? What is that in connection to? The people, the bodies that Saul has killed in the name of righteousness. Jesus' body here, he's talking in the all y'all kind of plural way. He's saying, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Jesus' body is communal because he is one with our bodies. He is one with our suffering. He is one with our pain. So we have a Jesus that can confront an oppressor and say, you got something going on with me? Okay, we're not supposed to add tone to the text, but that's how I read it. <laughs> what, you, what did I do to you? What you got going with me? But because if you mess with me, if you mess with them, you mess with me. That's what Jesus is saying. Another translation that I just found out this week, thank you, Willie Jennings, who I'm reading through the commentary of Willie Jennings. Another way to translate this question, I have never heard this before, y'all, is why are you hurting me? I know. Not just why are you persecuting me? But Willie Jennings translates this question in why are you hurting me? Because the way we treat others is the way we treat Christ. And the way that we mistreat others is the way that we mistreat Christ. And so Christ comes to advocate for us and says, why are you hurting me? Because when you mess with Glenda, you're messing with me. When you mess with Mondo, you're messing with me. When you mess with one of my children, you're messing with me. Why are you hurting me? And in my name? Like in my name? In my name. And Saul is stupefied. Jesus asks a, a why question, and Saul responds with a who question. He doesn't answer his question. He asks, and he answers with another question. Now, who are you, Lord? Because even when we're acting a fool, he's still Lord. Even in our questioning, he's still Lord. Jesus has a very direct question. And I have to give credit to my friend Nicola here because I'm all about like repentance. <laughs> he needs to pay for this. And Nicola said, but did you, did, you, did you notice how kindly Jesus shows up to Paul, to Saul? 
he shows up with bold gentleness, firm gentleness. What you're doing is very wrong. Saul knows about Yahweh. Saul has never met Jesus. He knows only about Jesus through rumors and riots, Nicholas said to me. And she was struck by the bold gentleness of Jesus. Not Jesus' anger, not Jesus' shock, but the kindness of Jesus to just show up to Paul and say, why are you hurting me? See, Jesus' presence offends Saul's pride. Jesus' presence can offend any of our pride because we all have to self-implicate in the violence of anything that we could be engaged in. And then all of Saul's senses are engaged. His eyes, his ears, his mouth, his body, he's probably sweating. It involves all of us. And to hear, Saul, why are you hurting me? And he says, now who are you, Lord? And I have to remind myself to be kind to Saul, like sometimes I have to be kind to the person of Judas, because see what he used to believe was crumbling down. And that can be very disorienting. What he used to believe was being interrogated by the real Jesus, not a colonized Jesus. His entire belief system was crumbling down and the way he interpreted the law that justified his hateful actions associated with that system, it was all crumbling down because there ain't no high like the most high. And so he was so disoriented, he didn't know what to do except ask, now who are you, Lord? This is, this is the man who's like, I'm, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the smallest tribe. So we're small but mighty. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. He has a pedigree. So for him to say, now who are you, Lord? Because the Lord is bigger than that law. The way that he was interpreting that law, I'm sorry, was bigger than that, larger than that. He was just shocked at this law of love. He didn't know what to do. This is a moment that Saul is saying, what do I do now? What do I do now? This is an intimate moment. This is a vulnerable moment. This is a, I've encountered a person that I don't know what to do with, that is bigger than I. And even though we may not relate to the specific circumstances where Saul is in right now, I wonder if you've had those, what do I do now? What do I do now when every, everything I thought I believed was right starts crumbling down? When Jesus interrogates the things that we believe, or we interrogate the things that we have believed, or we interrogate the systems that we have been in, what do I do now? This is the kind of moment that if you've lost a job, you say, what do I do now? This is a moment that if you've lost a loved one, what do I do now? Last Sunday, as my father, my brother said that, you know, he found my, my, my father on the floor. This is the moment that I've, I've feared all my life. And many of you know my story of losing my mother. That I thought, what do I do now? What, what will I do once I lose my second parent? What do I do now? This is the kind of moment where you have unanswered prayers that you've prayed forever, and you go, well, what do I do now? 
that things aren't going the way I expect them to go, what do I do now? This is the kind of question that you say when you've been betrayed by your friends, betrayed by your family, betrayed by maybe a previous church experience, what do I do now? We all have these, what do I do now moments when we just don't know what to do, we don't know how to feel, we feel all the things and it doesn't feel like that's the right thing to feel, what do I do now? Because interrogating can be disorienting. Interrogating can be disorienting when, when we come face to face with Jesus. But if we know that Jesus is showing up kindly, thank you, Nicola, showing up kindly, maybe in this, again, not this exact experience, let us move ourselves with compassion for ourselves and those around us who are questioning, who are asking the question, who are you, Lord? Because this is not the Jesus I know now. Or I don't know what I believe about Jesus. Or what I've been told about Jesus just doesn't match the Jesus with the red letter words. Right? To come to this conversation and to say, Jesus desires connection and Jesus desires intimacy is a holy invitation to me. And I pray that it'll be a holy invitation to you as well. That if you're in a season of like, what do I do now? Or I don't know what to believe. That disorientation is a holy invitation. It is a holy invitation. That in that disorientation is the ground for new revelation. Have hope in that disorientation. And you might need someone that reminds you that in that place you're not alone. Like we sung with Rosa and Nicola this evening. Three days, there's meaning, right, in everything here. Three days, verse 9 says he was without sight, he didn't eat, and he didn't drink. Three days, just like our Lord and Savior didn't eat and didn't drink for three days. Okay, three days of no sight, no food, no drink. I wanted to know, did anyone go check on him? Like the friends that took him like to the house, ever any abuelitas come by with like chicken soup? Did anybody check on him? What was he doing? Did anybody go check on him? I also don't want y'all to miss verse eight. When he could see nothing, they led him by the hand. When he could see nothing, they led him by the hand. When she could see nothing, her friends led her by the hand. When you can see nothing, Jesus is going to send you safe people to lead you by the hand. And that is okay in the season of disorientation. Because disorientation needs connection. Not only the connection with God, the connection with Jesus, but the connection with others who are also disoriented with you. They're like, where is this voice? We hear someone talking, we don't see it. Disorientation is a holy invitation. Disorientation is a ground for revelation. And Jesus is orchestrating everything just to get to you. Just to catch you on the way. As you're on the way, as you're getting in the car, as you're on the way to the office, as you're on the metro, I'm going to see if he'll just, she will pay attention to me right now. I'm going to send a sliver of light. See if she catches that. See if she catches that. Verse 10. 
Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And at this moment he is praying. He couldn't see, he couldn't hear, but he was praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard much from many about this man that you say, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he actually has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. And I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house and he, he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, hermano Saulo, el Señor Jesús, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. None of the story would be possible without the Holy Spirit, y'all. None of the story would be possible if the Holy Spirit wasn't asking to, us to do incredibly ordinary but scandalous things. None of this would be able to happen. Ananias is a disciple who's minding his own business and all of a sudden, uh, Jesus appears to him. He knows him, he names him, and Ananias responds with, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. And the phrase that he uses is the same phrase that Samuel used, that Abraham used, and that many, uh, many other used. And a direct translation of that is actually, behold me, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Behold me, Lord. And I love that because I think Jesus comes before him and Jesus is saying, behold me, beholding you. And Ananias is saying, behold me beholding you and we have two men who are beholding Jesus in very different ways and there's a long road from who are you Lord to here I am Lord and I want you to be patient with the people on that road perhaps you're in it right now you may be asking who are you Lord and you're on your way to say here I am Lord behold me but you may need the Lord to just behold you right now and hold you right now before you can even say, here I am, Lord, behold me. Be patient with yourself and be patient with those around you who are between the who are you and the here I am. Between the who are you and the here I am. We behold Jesus beholding us to see if this Jesus is the real thing. Because disorientation can have the potential to distort the face of Jesus. And so we have to be tender with ourselves and with others in this disorientation that can cause like we don't even know who this Jesus is anymore. Pastor Liz Berhage is a pastor at Quest Church and I recently was there uh, and got to listen to her preach. And she, um, she says that if you wanna know if a community or a person is following the real Jesus, to look for the fruit of the Spirit. Is there real love in that person or in that community? Is there real joy? 
Is there real peace? Is there real patience? Is there real goodness, real kindness, real faithfulness? Is there real self-control, real mercy, real joy, real justicia, real laughter, which we have said that that is a verb that we like in this church. Look for that Jesus and look for that fruit in the faces of others, in the faces of community, because the gospel is the love of God in the face of Christ. Our conversion is ongoing, and we're going to be between who are you, Lord, and here I am, Lord, 100 other times in our relationship while we're still in this world. The conversion of Saul is an ongoing conversion to us. It's an invitation to have long and courageous and compassionate conversations that lead to connection and intimacy. My invitation to you is to not forget to talk to your former self, Saul, and to not forget to talk to your future self, Paul, and to have compassion with both and with everything in between in our multiple conversions, in our multiple connections, in our multiple places of disorientation, there's gonna be a thousand connections with this Jesus. You're going to need the light of Christ. You're going to need the light of Jesus. You're going to have to learn about the love of God. You're going to need the companionship or the communion with the Spirit. And you're going to need a spirit-filled community. And that may be one person or two people or five that you trust that leads you by the hand. She could see nothing, so she needed it to be led by the hand. Someone that you can trust to lead you by the hand. Ananias is cautiously faithful. He's like, listen, I haven't seen this fool, but I've seen the reels on Instagram, and I don't know if you see, you're asking me to go, and I know you call people to go like you told Abraham to go, but in this situation, I'm not sure that I can go. And there's an Abrahamic call to all of us, right, to go, and I will show you. And that's very scary. And that, it, it requires a lot of trust. And Jesus doesn't usually give you the whole vision at once. He just gives you enough information to take the next step. Thank you, Ms. Glendor. Just go. Just show up at that person's house. Just invite them to have coffee with you. Just give them a call. Check on them. Or ask a question. Don't underestimate the small steps along the way between who are you, Lord, and here I am. You may be on a hike, you may be on a coffee shop, you may be in your car, but none of this can happen apart from the Holy Spirit, a spirit-filled community, the light of Jesus that is chasing after you with an undying love, and the love of God that keeps you in the valley, in valleys low and mountains high. Revelation will come on the road and in very small moments in your life. After my mother died, um, I grew up Catholic, and after my mother died, I, uh, and my father was an evangelical Protestant pastor, so what a combination in one home, right? So I would go to church with my mom sometimes and sometimes with my dad after my mother died. Um, I still wanted to go to confession so that I could take communion and Eventually, my father said, okay, you, I can't, we can't be going to do two different places. And so 
uh, one day, uh, a friend of his had to take me to confession, and we were just sitting there in the parking lot, and I was waiting to go to confession to talk to the priest, and um, I was such a great Catholic, y'all, that sometimes, like, I couldn't think of a sin to confess, so I would make him up, <laughs> which is bad, so then you have to, like, confess about that, like, I just lied to you, <laughs> I just lied to you, but I just had this, like, this, like, just burden of, like, I have to do all of this to come before God to be able to take a communion. And so the friend that brought me to confession, we were in the parking lot. We were waiting for the church doors to open so I could confess to the priest in time to be able to take communion on Sunday. So you have to do it once a week, right? And Don Eduardo asked me a question. He said, did you know that Jesus is the only intercessor between God and woman? that you can just go to him and confess your sins and that in his love he immediately forgives you. And I was 10 or 11 years old and that didn't make sense. I, I just thought I had to do this very strict thing. Um, if I do it, didn't do it the right way, then God wouldn't love me or God wouldn't you know, welcome me. Or, um, and, and so the light of Christ showed up in, in, in that Don Eduardo's presence and Don Eduardo's uh, question or when my father remarried, um, you know, I wasn't really particularly happy about my father remarrying. I was still, I was still mourning my mother. And um, my uncle, he wasn't a real uncle, but you know, we, call, we have like 20,000 uncles in Nicaragua. Like everybody's an uncle, tia, everybody. So Tio Gilberto, you just knew that, you know, I, I was having a tough time at 14 years old with my father remarrying. And he asked a question about, how do you feel about your father remarrying? And I couldn't answer because sometimes if you start talking, you'll start crying. So then you just swallow your tears. Have you ever done that? Or is it just me? And he said, did you know that your father's not going to stop loving you if he, if he remarries? And that your dad is never going to stop loving your mom if he remarries? I didn't know. The light of Christ just like, don't underestimate like these small moments of Jesus putting some skin on somebody else that comes to touch you in the places where you... They're most needed. Or my friend, Ms. Donna, Ms. Donna Thomas, who was um, an American missionary and who actually paid for my mom and dad to come to the US um, back then. Uh, she paid for that plane ticket. And my, my, my mother died in an airplane accident, for those of you who don't know. And after my mother died, she always felt responsible, somehow connected to me. And uh, we went to visit her in the US and she asked me, just a small, intimate question that when I think back, I see the light of Christ chasing after me. She said, what do, you, what do you remember about your mom? What is your most favorite memory? And this week I was talking to a friend and, and I asked that question to them as well. And it reminded me that the light of Christ doesn't have to come through 1,000 stadium lights. It can actually show up in you. That, as my friend Nicola likes to say, that Jesus likes to close himself with you and you show up. Sometimes God doesn't show up because we don't show up. But when you show up, the light of Christ and Christ's kindness shows up. And you are the carrier of that light. You are now on the way with Jesus for yourself and also for others because the light of Christ reaches you first before it reaches somebody else. So as we think about these questions and as we think about this very familiar story of Saul turning into Paul, 
remember that we are being invited as well. Wherever God finds you in your grief, in your trauma, in your disorientation, that this disorientation may be an invitation to connect with Jesus. Jesus' questions always lead to encounters and to connection. And don't underestimate the power of those moments on the way as we are on the way seeking the love of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the heart of Jesus and the witness of Jesus and the words of Jesus. So as Pastora Rosa comes up and we continue in worship, let me pray for us on the way. Jesus, I thank you for your compassion. Jesus, I thank you that you are our light, light in our darkness, light of revelation, that you are the light of the world and you are the light in my world and you are the light in our world. And so Jesus, I ask that you would shine your light in all the places where it is needed right now. Shine your light in our grief, shine our, your light in our joy, Shine our light, your light in our questions. Shine our light, your light in our hopes, in our dreams, individually and as a community. Jesus, thank you for chasing us with an undying love, for loving us with an undying love, for chasing us with steadfastness. Thank you that you remain steadfast even when we don't. And we don't have to all the time. Thank you for showing up on the way as we are on the way. We love you, Jesus. We love you as we stand between who are you, Lord, and here I am, Lord. And thank you that you honor every, everything in between.